This is the fifth Father's Day message I've given starting from 2011, and I'm pretty sure that I've made this comment every year, which is this, and I, you've probably noticed it or, or heard others say it. You know, it, it, on Mother's Day, we work hard at blessing and encouraging and honoring and uplifting mothers, and there's flowers and all kinds of gushy stuff, and it's pretty, it's pink everywhere. But it seems as though, if you've noticed, at least in my church life, when it comes to Father's Day, we get this big old billy club out. And we just start clobbering dads, you know. Here's what you're supposed to be. Here's what, here's what you're supposed to do. You need to be the spiritual head of your house. Whap! And we just plow them, you know. And while all that's true, it just seems like there's more guilt associated with Father's Day, at least in what's shared from a pulpit, than that which we do on, on Mother's Day. Now, the ladies seem to be fine with that. They like that plan pretty well. <laughs> but I'm not so sure that the dads walk out feeling blessed and encouraged and uplifted and honored. But here's what I believe about the men of this house, and that is this. That though we live in difficult days where we are bombarded on every hand with temptations to make wrong choices, it's everywhere. Every temptation is there. Wrong choices ethically or in your business or in your finances. And the, the lust of the world brings temptations morally. It's all around us. And all the temptations of the flesh are raging to drown our sorrows and stresses in, in that which the world and the enemy would offer us. All the things are there. And just the challenges of keeping body and soul together. But here's what I believe. Even though all that's true, and even though that's the day and age in which we live, yet there are men who want to be a man of God. That was a very weak amen. I need more than that. How do I know that? I know that because there's, this is a, there's a church full of them right here, and I've met them, and I've known them, and I've watched their lives for many, many years. I've heard my own son speak in our home of, of being raised in one church all of his life and the influence that men of God of this church have had upon him. These are men who know what it is to face hard times, really hard times, men who know what it is to have to cowboy up. And do the right thing, even when it hurts. This is Texas, right? You understand cowboy up. You know what that means. Men who've had their children turn their back on them and everything they stand for. And yet they will still pray for that child. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Men who have made up their mind, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. Men who know what it is to make mistakes, or last week we called them mess-ups, Men who know what it is to make mistakes, but also have the internal grit to know how to get back up with their heart and their face toward the Lord and to be able to go on in the grace, the majestic grace of the Lord Jesus. Men who have spiritual sensitivity. And yes, I used sensitivity and men in the same sentence, ladies, I did it. Men who have a desire to know more of Jesus, to walk with Him, to talk with Him, to commune with Him, and to hear what the Lord has to say. Men of prayer. Men of the Word, I'm talking about men of God, and that's who we're honoring here today. Now, we've tended to relegate that term men of God or, or man of God to those in vocational ministry, and thank God there are some pastors that are true men of God. I even know a few of them. My own father was one he, when he was on this earth. He's in heaven today. But I want to tell you this. I know men of God who are painters who are builders, construction workers, teachers, 
maintenance men, accountants, engineers, doctors, and yes, even lawyers. I know some of those. And thank God He has given us men of God. Ladies, would you agree to that today? So how is a man of God formed? Well, it starts by the Spirit of God when a man, of, when a man is regenerated at the point of salvation. The man has recognized that his sin has separated him from a holy God, and he then accepts the completed work of Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. And he enters into the newness of life. New life is formed in him because of the work of Christ. And then, he, then the formation of the man of God develops further as a man pursues discipleship and learning how to study the Word of God. And by the way, there are several men's groups within this fellowship. Some groups meet just to pray. We have groups in this church who meet specifically just for Bible study. I saw some of them today. And there are probably some groups and men's groups in this church who like to meet just to eat. Please see Vic Bartlow. He's, he, knows, he knows that. But there are all kinds of men's groups, study groups, service groups, Men's retreats, and sir, there is no need for you to be left out of this fellowship. If you're not part of something, there's an opportunity for you. Opportunities abound. So how is a man of God formed? By coming to Christ, the Spirit of God coming upon him by walking the path of discipleship. But there's something else, and that is a man of God will have proper and healthy influences. I see lots of people in my office and in various other settings Sometimes it's, it's in an interview situation. Sometimes it's a pastoral counseling session. And typically, I, my mode of dealing with uh, situations like that is that I, I ask a lot of questions. Questions like this, like, tell me something about your spiritual journey and what has brought you to this point and, and, and where you are today. Or tell me something about how and, 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 and when and, and where you were discipled and how, that is, how that's ongoing. Tell me something about your discipleship program that you've been involved in. But the one question that I will invariably ask that seems to apply to all situations is this. I will ask someone, tell me, who has been your greatest positive influence? By whom have you been influenced spiritually? You know, the man who truly desires to be a man of God will be very, very careful in selecting those who have influence over him. It could be someone that you know personally and have direct contact with. It could be someone that you admire from a distance and you've learned more about loving Jesus and living for Christ by the way he lives his life in example before you. It could be someone that you're reading, uh, some contemporary writer or an author for, from decades or even centuries past who has had enormous influence upon you. But whether, whatever it is, Whoever the person is, someone has modeled for the man of God what it looks like in a man to live for the Lord Jesus. That will be true in a man who desires to be a man of God. So a man of God will be born again. A man of God will be a man of discipleship who studies the word. A man of God will have great influences in his life. And because he has been influenced by other godly men, the man of God will recognize the truth that he then must become an influence for good in those men who are coming along after him. In other words, the man of God accepts the responsibility of becoming a mentor. It's part of the calling of the man of God. 
Because, sir, whether you recognize it today or whether you have sensitivity to it or not, here's the truth. There is an army of young men coming up after you, sir, and you do not have the option of ignoring them. The Lord is calling you to take that which has been deposited, with, deposited within you, those influences for good in your life, and pass them on to the next generation. Now, I know that it's very easy to look at our culture at large today and to make some generalizations about today's younger generation. We know what we see in the media and on, on television and all the crazy things that are happening and the spirit of the age that seems to be taking over and the behaviors that are there. And while it's true that there are plenty of negative influences bringing pressure to bear upon our children and our grandchildren, I want you to know, church, there is still a remnant in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you know what I mean when I refer to that word remnant. There will be a church. The church is not going to hell in a handbasket. There is an army of young people who love the Lord Jesus. And I want you to know God is still placing his hand upon young people and calling them forth into ministry, placing gifts within them that will honor and glorify the name of Jesus with all that is within them. The Lord is still placing his hand on fine young men and young women and speaking through them and working through them. And I want you to meet two such young men this morning who are a part of Bethesda Church. As I was thinking about this and praying about being a man of God and what all that means and then the aspect of the influences of, of my own life and, and understanding and accepting the responsibility that as a man of God we must be someone who then has influence over others. I can't help but look behind me and see that army that's coming up behind and have a sensitivity and a, and a heart cry desire to want to bless and encourage and instruct and help and mentor the next generation that's coming along because I I believe this is the church of the Lord Jesus. It's going to go on long past me. It's going to go on long past you, should the Lord tarry. And we have a responsibility to teach and train young people and to make a place for them in the church of the Lord Jesus. You need to say amen to that. I've had the privilege of, privilege of being exposed in recent days to what the Lord is doing through a couple of young men, and it's astonishing to me. And I just have to share it with you on this Father's Day. Um, I'm going to use this mic back here. I guess that other one's gone. I'll need this also. I want you to meet Ian Lopez. Ian, come here, buddy. Come on. Let's see. Let's stand over here where they can see you. Ian, how old are you? Seven. Seven years old. And is that your mom and dad right there? Yes. Is that your little sister? Yes. What's your sister's name? Abigail. How old is Abigail? She's four and you're seven. You guys just moved to Texas not long ago, right? Yes. And where did you move from? From where? Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Are you getting a good shot of this fine, young, handsome young man? Well, he's... Now, on Wednesday night, your family brings you and you go to Royal Rangers, right? Because I've seen you walking around with your Royal Ranger vest on and all those badges that you've earned and all that you've done. Well, what I've discovered is that God has placed his hand upon this young man. And he has incredible gifts. Dad, come on, bring up, uh, bring up the first one. This is his father, Eric, from Puerto Rico. <clears throat> Mom, you're going to have to bring the second one, okay? Okay. 
Amber, you go get the next one. Jovan, you get the last one. These are all paintings that this seven-year-old has done. I'm not sure what this one is. He did this one when he was five years old. And then the last one they brought to me last Wednesday night, the one Jovan's holding, they brought that one to me, and I saw that on Wednesday night, and that's with oils. He's doing the, and he, like, he told me this morning he likes working with oils the best. He's seven years. I'm a little older than that. <laughs> I couldn't do that if I tried. Could you? <laughs> And it is amazing to see. Okay, you guys can go sit down, but Ian, you're going to stay up here with me. I wanted the church to see that. You, stand, you stay right here. Where's Austin Bandy? Austin, I need you to come here, wherever you are. Okay, come on, buddy. I'm going to tell you about Austin. Austin's 12 years old. I want you to stand right here next to Ian, okay? Austin's 12. He and his younger sister, Emma, attend church with their grandparents, Ron and Sarah Grace. Now, Ron, his grandfather, is very, very sick, and we've been praying for him for quite a while. And um, I got news that uh, it, would, it would be good if I came by the house to, um, to visit them and pray for him. And so I went a couple of weeks ago by the house and uh, to his grandparents' house to uh, serve communion and to pray for him. And while there, I learned from Austin's grandmother something about this 12-year-old young man, and that is she exposed me to the fact that Austin has quite a gift in writing poetry. So I said, well, send some of it to me. That would be nice. And she did. And oh, my. Can I read a couple of these? Is that okay with you? Okay. Jesus, you are my best friend. You'll be there with me to the very end. Being a follower, I must say that being a Christian pays in every way. Set a fire in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control. Set a spark in me, God. You the lightning, I'm the rod. Bless thy name and one day return and claim. Here's another one. Let me praise you with all my might. Lead me by faith, not sight. Lead me in the path of the right. Lead me in your light. Light up my path. Let me avoid the world's wrath. Let me live a life for you. Let Jesus be the way. Let me hope and pray. Let me spread your word and say, being a Christian surely pays. Let me read you one more. I was just astounded at all this. By Austin Bandy says, I come here to listen to the sea. And I ask myself to be or not to be, to be good or to be bad, to be happy or to be sad. I ask myself and again, again and again, but I keep reminding myself that I've committed sin, but through Jesus Christ, I can be born again. He's my creator, provider, protector, healer, amazing king, and that's why I praise, that's why I sing.
You know, church, why do I bring this here on, on Father's Day? Because I want you to know that the Lord is still placing his hand upon young people. He's still placing gifts, incredible gifts with young people, creative gifts. And the church of the Lord Jesus is going to be in good hands with young people like this. We, need to, we have a responsibility, those of us who are going to be men of God, to be an influence on young men like this and others in our church, particularly knowing that these young men will have to navigate their way through the spirit of the age in which they live. Every pull and draw will be there to try to steal the gift that God has placed within. But thank God they have incredible influences, both Ian and Austin. And God has given them a unique gift. And can, can I just pray for you guys? That's okay. Church, stretch forth your hand to these young men. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, even as we've recognized the amazing gift that you've placed within these young men, I pray that that which you have placed within them, you will bring it to absolute all that you've designed it and desired it to be. Thank you for amazing gifts. Thank you for a heart after God. Thank you for what you're going to do in these precious young lives and the incredible future that they have. I lift them before you and I pray a covering of grace and your hedge of protection upon them. In the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said. Amen. Hang on, hang on. Now, this is going to be a little mushy and a little weird. But, I'm, but I, I want to do this. When I was a kid, there was a song we sang. And as I thought about the two of you, and as I was praying about the two of you yesterday, this is a little song that when I was a kid, you won't recognize it. I want to sing it to you. Because here's what I believe. I know the Lord has laid his hand on me, on you. I know the Lord has laid his hand on me. If I live a holy life, shun the wrong and do the right, I know the Lord has laid his hand on me. God bless you guys. Ian, you can go sit down. You stay just a moment. You can go sit down, buddy. Now, come here. There's one more part of the story that I wasn't going to tell, but I, I just got to tell it. Okay? So I go to their house, and I've not, I had not met his grandfather, who I went to pray for and to serve communion. I'd met his grandmother, Sarah, but I had not met Ron. At least I didn't remember meeting him. <clears throat> and so I went in and was taken to the back bedroom, and we sat there, and... and um, I sat by the side of the bed, his grandfather, and, and I just said, you know, let, let me get better acquainted with you guys. Do you know this story? Have you heard about this yet? You have heard about it? Okay. This is a little scary. So I talked to his grandmother. Where are you from? She was raised in Dallas, and we knew some people in common. So I asked his grandfather. I said, so Ron, tell me, tell me more about you. Where are you from? He said, well, I was raised in the St. Louis area. I said, oh, really? Where? Oh, you, you wouldn't... You wouldn't know about it. It's over on the other side of the river. It's on the Illinois side of the river. I said, where? He said, in Alton, Illinois. I said, uh, would it surprise you to know that I, my sophomore year of high school, I went to Alton High School. I had the lead in the musical there that, that year. And they just said, you're kidding. And then we began talking about things of that community, where the Piasaw bird is and where the river road is. And my sister lives there and my mother lives there. And then we got to talking about 
uh, the churches in that area. And he was raised in what was known then as Edward Street Assembly of God Church at the, when my dad was pastoring Spring Street Assembly of God Church not far away. So we knew people in common and churches in common and pastors that had come and gone and, and all the area and so on and so forth. And that was all interesting and kind of a shock. All of it was a shock. And then we came to this moment when I said, well, if you, if you were part of that Abundant Life Church, that's where my mother attends today, I said, would you know Dean Copeland? Now, understand, I walked into a house where I didn't know. I didn't know this person. Do you know Dean Copeland? He said, how do you know Dean Copeland? I said, well, how do you know Dean Copeland? <laughs> he said, Dean Copeland is my sister's father-in-law. I think I have that right. Dean Copeland is my sister's father-in-law. And he said, how do you know Dean Copeland? I said, Dean Copeland is married to my mother. <laughs> Folks, it is a small, small world. So the moral of the story is this. Don't ask the pastor to come over to your house to pray. You may discover you're related to him. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. You can go. God has allowed us to have influence in our, influences in our lives, men, so that we can be an influence on those who are coming up behind us. And the same goes for women. Ladies, please don't feel left out in this message today. Apply it to yourselves. Sometime back, I've got to watch the clock here. Sometime uh, earlier this year, I called a group of people together and we met with some uh, of our uh, community leaders, fire chief and police chief, and I think I've reported some of this to you. And we were really asking, particularly for this Haltom City area, North Fort Worth area, Saginaw, Watauga, North Western Hills, this area, we said, we want to know, what are the real problems of our community? What, what do you, those of you who have to live in it at that level every day, tell us what the real problems are. And I, you know, I expected drugs, alcohol, crime, prostitution, all of those things, and I'm not saying those things aren't around us and aren't uh, prevalent but the answer came back that surprised me. They said the number one, and it was confirmed by all of them in different meetings. They said the number one problem of our community is fatherless homes. That's the number one problem. And so I don't have all of the answers for you today, but we have a task force that has been meeting regularly and has, began, has prayerfully considered what can we as a church do and I don't know the answers yet, but I know something this fall, when we reach this fall, we're going to roll out some information and some opportunities once we've had the process to pray thoroughly through it and work through all of the obstacles and some of the issues that would be there that need to be dealt with. We want to begin to have an impact on this community and see what we can do. We can't fix all the issues, but church, if we could find just one young person, are you with me today? one young person and make a difference in their life because some man of God, a part of Bethesda, said, I want to make a difference. I want to do something different. I want to have a positive influence on someone in this area. And if, we could, if the Lord could give us grace to do that, what a wonderful thing it would be if we could begin to say, you know what, um, I want to make a difference and I want to do it right here in my, in my own community. And I know some of you dads may be saying, you know, I want to be an influence for good as a man of God to my family, but Pastor Dan, you don't understand, my kids won't even listen to me. And here's what I would say to that this morning. Hang on, my brother. 
You may just be passing through a certain phase with your kids right now. And just because it looks one way today doesn't mean it's going to look like that always, which is why it's very important for you to remain faithful and remain true to the things that you know you are to do. Becky found this little piece for me this week, and some of you maybe have seen it. It goes like this. It's called My Father. When I was four years old, what I said was this. My daddy can do anything. When I was five years old, I said, my daddy knows a whole lot. At six years old, I said, my dad is smarter than your dad. Eight years old, I said, well, my dad doesn't exactly know everything. At ten years old, I said, In the olden days when my dad grew up, things were sure a lot different than they are today. At 12 years old, I said, oh, well, naturally, dad doesn't know anything about that. He's he's too old to remember his childhood. But the 14-year-old said, don't pay any attention to my dad. He's so old-fashioned. Is this ringing true with anybody here today? At 21 years old, him, my Lord, he's hopelessly out of date. The 25-year-old said, Dad knows a little bit about it, but, but he should because he's been around for so long. And the 30-year-old said, maybe we should ask Dad what he thinks. After all, he's had a lot of experience. The 35-year-old said, I'm not going to do one single thing until I've talked with Dad. The 40-year-old said, I wonder how Dad would have handled it. He was so wise and he had a world of experience. And the 50-year-old said, I'd give anything if Dad were here now so that I could talk this over with him. Too bad I didn't appreciate how smart he was and all he had to offer. I could have learned a lot from him. I want all the dads in the house to stand today, and we're going to honor you. Come on. Come on, dads. You may be seated, gentlemen. If you're going to be a man of God, a man of influence, then certainly you will be a man who is influenced by the Word of God. For the last 10 minutes, please turn with me to Psalm 127. I'm going to read two short psalms. I think most of us are familiar with Proverbs 31 being somewhat the iconic chapter that we read on Mother's Day as we speak about the ideal mother. Well, in a similar way, I think we can look at these two psalms on Father's Day and find a blessing for dads today. As we look at Psalm 127, 28, I want you to understand these are what we understand Psalms of Ascent, otherwise known as Songs of Ascent or Gradual Psalms, Songs of Degrees, Songs of Steps, Pilgrim Songs. Fifteen of the 150 Psalms are given this title, Songs of Ascent, which simply means this, that these designated Psalms were put to music and sung by worshipers as they ascended the road to Jerusalem to attend the three pilgrim festivals. Or they were sung by the Levite singers as they ascended the 15 steps to minister at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, while our focus for the remaining few minutes will be on Psalm 128, I I do want to read Psalm 127, and I'm going to leave it to you to discover or meditate on or, or ponder the ways that there is an ascent from Psalm 127 to 128. That'll be your homework assignment for today. But for us this morning, 127 is serving as a bit of a preamble to 128. Notice, notice that how it goes. Psalm 127. 
Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Can I just say, you need the blessing of the Lord. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children, are born to a young, children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. But how joyful or how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Now we take a step up. We've gone to the next level in the ascent. And let's, fathers, this is for you, Psalm 128. How joyful, or other versions say, how blessed are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion as you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. There's such a progression here. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. This psalm starts off by letting us know the necessary components of being blessed. How many today want to be blessed? We all want to be blessed. And it's okay to want to be blessed, certainly as long as we keep it in perspective to what true blessing is. The first recorded sermon that Jesus preached, we know is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter, chapters 5 through 7, begins by promising happiness and fulfillment to all who will follow him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. We know that he is saying it's okay that you can be blessed. He wants to bless us. And the first psalm begins the same way, with God promising joy and peace to those who meditate on his word. So it's not wrong to desire to be happy. And this Psalm 128 for dads today is saying, blessed, blessed is the man. The only question is this, how will one find his blessing? How will one find happiness? The world promises happiness in so many things such as possessions and popularity and position and prestige and promotions. But true contentment will be found in enjoying God himself. It's in Philippians 4 where we're told Paul declared, rejoice in the Lord. Our happiness is in him. Can you say amen to that today? God wants us to rejoice, and it is found in the passionate pursuit of loving Him. We know this. Happiness is not determined by one's physical or financial condition, but by one's spiritual condition. Oh God, let us in America understand that in new ways that we've not understood it before. Happiness is not determined by our physical or financial condition, but by our spiritual condition, where our standing in God... Rabbit trail, Dan, come back. Okay. <laughs> Happiness is not found by where one works, but how, how one worships. Not by external circumstances, but by internal contentment. Not by finances or fame, but by faith in God. Christ is the source of eternal joy and everlasting happiness. So what is the requirement for God's blessing for the man of God? What's the requirement? I'm going to go through these quickly. According to this psalm, God's blessing belongs first to the man or the dad who will fear the Lord. What does that mean? Does that mean you walk around afraid all, all of the time that God's going to smush you off the planet or do something bad to you? 
The man who fears the Lord is the man who, get it, takes God seriously, reverences Him deeply, and honors Him greatly. The man who fears the Lord, I'm going to say it again, is the man who takes God seriously. In other words, he's saying, it matters what God says. It matters to me what God thinks about this. It matters to me. I take God seriously. I'm not flipping about it. I'm not casual about it. I'm all in when it comes to God. I take Him seriously. That's what fearing the Lord is all about. Who reverences Him deeply. Within the deep of your being, within the depths of your soul, there's a reverence for the sovereign God. That's the man who fears the Lord and the one who honors Him greatly. That's the man who knows how to worship Him with all that he has. According to this psalm, the second requirement for God's blessing is not only that that the dad fears the Lord, but that he walks in his ways. He walks in his ways, which is to live in daily obedience to the word and the will of God. No one will be truly happy while living in disobedience to God. You may think you are for a season. You may think you are for a time. But you will never know true blessing. You will never know true happiness if you're walking in disobedience. Amen to that. Only in walking in God's ways, Dad, will you truly be satisfied and content. At the center of the man of God is the fear of the Lord. At the circumference of the man of God is the Word of God, which teaches him to walk in his ways. Plainly stated, Dad, we must draw the boundaries where God draws the boundaries. When we get the center and the circumference right, then we can move on now to verses 2 through 4 and experience true happiness from the fourfold blessing of God. What are the requirements for his blessing? To fear the Lord and to walk in his ways. What are the requirements? What is the realm of God's blessing for the man of God? Verse 2 makes it clear that this God-blessed man will eat the fruit of his labor, referring to the divine blessing upon all that he does. Heaven's favor will be upon his work, his labor graced by God. If one fears and obeys God, his endeavors will be fruitful and will be rewarded to the extent that God chooses to bless either in this life or in the life to come. Look at what verse 3 tells us about the realm of God's blessing for the man of God. It says that God's blessing will also be upon his home. How many dads want God's blessing on your home? It says your wife will be like a fruitful vine. The God-fearing man will have a child-bearing wife, a clear indication of God's favor. It's what this is saying. And he will also have children like olive shoots. What does that mean? Olive trees common in the Middle East take time to mature and to become profitable. When patiently cultivated, they produce crops for many years. What the psalmist here is saying very clearly is this. When one's children are rightly nourished over time, they will become productive and prolific for God. Dad, hear me carefully. Do not be guilty of looking too early for the adult your child will become. Do not, Dad, be guilty of looking too early for the adult your child will become. That means putting up with a lot of immaturity. That means putting up with a lot of things that they ought, you keep thinking they ought to know better. Hopefully you do, but they don't yet. That's why it takes time to cultivate and nurture, and maturity is a process. Verse 4 is given to us for emphasis, and that is, that, that is the Lord's blessing for those who fear Him. They take God seriously, reverence Him deeply, and honor Him greatly. And He knows grace upon grace, the goodness of God upon His life in double measure. 
This psalm has given us the requirement for God's blessing, the realm of God's blessing for the man of God. And finally, there's the request for God's blessing for the man of God. The psalmist petitions this. He says, may the Lord bless you from Zion. May the Lord bless you from Zion, whether this be from God's heavenly throne room in glory or his earthly temple at Jerusalem. Heavenly Zion is the place where the divine glory most resides, the center from which all of our blessings flow. If you want further reference for that, check out Psalm 20, verse 2. That's heavenly Zion. Earthly Zion was a local extension of Zion above. The blessings already described include seeing Jerusalem prosper spiritually so as well as militarily so, economically and culturally. And then he says, may this prosperity be a lasting blessing, one that will endure all the days of your life. And the last verse of our psalm concludes, it says, and may you live to see your children's children as a request for a long, blessed life. It's a request for physical health in the face of sickness, a petition for military victory in the face of Israel's enemies, and an asking for abundant crops in the face of famines. It is a request for all that will keep them alive and prosperous in the future. It is often the third generation that abandons the faith. You want to reference Judges chapter 2 to look that up. So we must pray much for our children and our grandchildren that the Lord will keep His good hand of blessing upon their lives and for His glory. And then the psalmist finishes with this. He says, Peace be upon Israel. Shalom be upon Israel. And I want you to notice the progression. I I referenced it earlier. The progression of blessing in this Psalm 128. It's from the individual, the man, to his wife, his wife to his children, his children to his grandchildren, his grandchildren to the nation. There is a progression all the way through this Psalm. And what that tells us is this, as the man of God goes, so goes his family. As the family goes, so goes the nation. Can you say amen to that, church? So the requirements for the blessing of the man of God, the realm of blessing for the man of God, and the request for God's blessing on the man of God. I'm going to ask one more time for all the men in the house to stand. Right now, please. All the men. Dads, doesn't matter. I want all the men to stand. Because I believe every man in here wants to be a man of God. And I'm going to do this. You may not want me to. I'm, I'm watching the clock. I want you to come forward. We're going to pray over the, over the men of this church today. Come on, come quickly. Arthur, if you'd give me some music. Maybe we can sing Jesus Be the Center in just a moment. Come on, man, from the balcony. We're going to wait for you. Move forward. Spread out to the sides. going to have just a brief word of prayer and blessing before we leave from this place today. I don't know about you, men. I need the blessing of God. How about you? I said, I need the blessing of God. How about you? I need His favor upon my life. Come on, guys. Scoot on as close as you can. Ladies, have you ever seen such a group of handsome men in your life? Stephen, I'm going to need you. I need, I need a fiery prayer today. You're about as fiery as we have. 
There's that microphone. Okay. Hang on just a second. Gentlemen, the Lord is calling us to be men of God, men of integrity, men who know His ways, who fear the Lord, and who will walk in His ways. I think I mentioned last week a little prayer that we've added at our house. I've added in my own prayer time. Lord, teach us in the good way that we should go. It's so simple. But sometimes the simplicity of a prayer like that is so critical. Teach us in the good way that we should go. It doesn't hurt us. We don't sacrifice our position in the family. We don't sacrifice our position of authority to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I need you to teach me in the good way that I should go. I need your direction. Men who have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Men who are dedicated to devotional living and on a path of discipleship. And men who are men of influence, not only to their families, but to the world to which the Lord has called you. And when we are men of God, then we can know the blessing of God as we fear the Lord and walk in His ways. I want to do this little acrostic. F stands for faith. I'm going to let them give a minute to get that up there. If a father has faith in God and His Word and in, every, and in everything seeks to obey Him, his children will most likely put their confidence in God when they are older. A stands for acceptance. Accept your children for who they are and speak positive words into their lives. T stands for time. You know this. The best gift that a father can give to their children is their time. And I know that's not always easy. Sometimes that's a great challenge with all the pressures that you have to bear. H stands for help. The Lord is the greatest helper that any person can have, and He will help our children through us if we let Him do it. We can help by sharing God's wisdom with them or by simply pointing them in the right direction. E stands for encouragement. Each father needs to be the greatest cheerleader that his children will ever have, encouraging them to set good goals for their lives and rejoicing in every achievement. And R stands for rock or could stand for reverent example. A father has to be a source of strength to his family and a defense in times of struggle. A father should teach his children reverence for God and for others. Come on, let's lift our hands as Stephen leads us in prayer today. Come on, Stephen, pray for the dads in this house.